Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. We're in our uh, second message in uh, 8 Tree 1, eight messages about trees that will teach us about our, our one God and his story of loving us and redeeming us. Um, we talked about one of the benefits of a sermon series like this is that we talk about trees, which I, um, and actually theologians will tell you that this is one way that God reveals himself. He communicates us, which theologians call general revelation. So you know, we often hear, I, want to, I just wish God would speak to me. He speaks through his creation. He's teaching us. He's going to teach us today through his creation. And then he speaks through his word. They call this special revelation. So you're going to get a one-two punch, general and special revelation. We will all be without excuse because God is going to communicate. I'm just going to report what he's already said and is saying. But it's not just for us to listen, but we're also to share. Remember, in Follow Me, the point was we're following Jesus and we're to cultivate other followers, make disciples. And so as you're listening, some of this might just be like, oh, I already know that. Great. Are you sharing that? Are you helping others to know that, other people to live that? That's the call. It's not just just to uh, hear it and understand it and agree with it, but to share it. So you're listening for yourself, but you're also listening for others. And our little phrase, the catchphrase that I, that I like for this is, we are botanical theologians, maybe put your seatbelts on for this, botanical theologians cultivating Jesus followers. That's what we're after here. We're botanical theologians cultivating Jesus followers. So last week, we learned that God, we started at the front of the Bible, that God made everything and it was good. He's the all-knowing creator, sustainer of the universe, and he even made people in his image, and he made this garden, and he said, go enjoy it, live it up. But he's actually so loving that he gave us a choice because he said, you know, this one tree, don't eat that one. He gave us the ability to choose. And it was basically a choice of being dependent on him where we can live life in accordance to God's ways or we could live independent, reject his ways and do life on our own. And all I could do was just read the passage last week and it was sad, even kind of funny how ridiculous we are. And I say we because we would have done it too. The way Adam and Eve behave, blaming each other and and uh, stuff like that. But we made a bad choice, but the story does not end there. Uh, We don't just find ourselves, as we use the illustration, in a tangle of acacia trees that we can't get away from. We need to ask for outside help. And in the question of of that week, God was walking through the garden saying, where are you? And that question is our question. Where are you? And the options are, are you in Adam, still lost, still hiding, still full of shame, Or are you in Christ, who's lived, died, and resurrected to to offer us new life? We can be redeemed and restored through Christ. So the question is, where are you? Are you in Adam? Are you in Christ? We still have that option. And then this week, we get even more specific. We ask, where are you planted? Not just where are you, but where are you planted? Because they were banned from the garden, and where were they going to go? And so there was a physical location. You know, they had to find a place to live. They probably, you know, I'll just tell you right off, one of the things they needed to find is water. You can't live apart from water. So where did they go? And I'm asking that question of us today is, where are we planted? Because even though they are banned from the garden, 
God is still pursuing us, chasing us, hunting us down to restore us into right relationship with him. Location, location, location. <laughs> Lord, give us wisdom um, to see your way of life. Soften our hearts, reveal and communicate to us through trees and through your word, and then give us your power to act. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to go through the Bible part first before I teach the tree part. And there's two main passages that we'll look at. They're pretty common ones. Uh, I actually taught a sermon on this before as I was going through my files. I had a sermon called Trees That Teach about three years ago. So I may have to teach this again if we don't get it. No, I just love trees, so that's why I'm teaching it. And this Psalm 1 is the first passage. It was my grandma's favorite psalm. She says, this one says it all. And Marie and I have liked this one ever since. So Psalm 1. If you want to turn there, it's in, on page 568 in your pew Bibles. It's a very poetic psalm. You know, there's all, all these kinds of word plays and how it's ordered. Um, it's very clear and it's comprehensive. That's why my grandma really liked it. So I'll read it and then I'll just uh, reveal a few points that stick out and then we'll move on to the Jeremiah passage. So listen to this uh, word from the Lord. Bless or, or super happy, you could say, deeply happy, is the one who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, In all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Again, I could do a whole sermon on just this psalm alone. Well, I'll be as brief as I can. Uh, deeply happy doesn't do this, and it's a downward path. It's a degrading. They don't walk with these, um, what, what does it say? Does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, wicked doesn't sit down with the scoffers, and doesn't, um, or stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of the scoffers. So there's this walking, sitting, standing, and then it gets repeat, uh, repeated in the reverse at the end. But the, um, the deeply happy one does delight in the instruction of the Lord. So what is, what is God going to teach us? What is he teaching us? The, the really deeply happy one says, I want to listen to that. I don't want to hang out with these folks and doing those kinds of things. And then verse 3 and 4 says it looks like, so we get a picture, we get an illustration of that truth that we just heard, looks like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, all that he does prospers. So you get this picture of a tree, especially if, if you've ever been to the Holy Land or, or you've been uh, to the deserts anywhere, water is everything. Without water, there's, there's really nothing. And so you're talking about a tree by a river, they just thrive. That's what, that's what the picture is. Versus um, this picture of chaff, which is, you know, wheat, you smash it down and you throw it up in the air. And this is the wasted, dead plant material that just blows away in the wind. It's kind of worthless. So you want to be the tree planted by water? This is a picture. Or this chaff that's worthless and just blown away. Then it wraps up in the last couple verses. Like I said, it says, the wicked won't do this and the righteous will. And there's a standing in judgment a sitting in a congregation with other people and walking with the Lord. Simple question. Who wants to be with the righteous? 
I want to be in that group. Well, there's a parallel passage. Scripture does this so well. God does it in Jeremiah 17, and it just works hand in hand with, with Psalm 1. It, it clarifies and makes it, um, it says basically the same thing, but in a, a really even more clear way. So if you want to turn to page 819, and I think we've got it, going to have it up on the uh, screen, Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the one who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and does not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is, whose trust is the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, does not fear when the heat comes, for the leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Isn't that a good one? I just love that. So verse 5, cursed is the one who trusts in himself and it has a heart turned from God. So cursed. Life is not good for this one that's going to pull it off on their own. They're like a shrub. They don't even get a billing of a tree, right? That's why they don't even make our cut. But a tree, is, I mean a shrub in the desert. And blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. And, and catch this, I hadn't seen this before. If you look at verse 7, can we put that back up there? Yes, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Think about that for the second. So I want to trust in the Lord, but sometimes I just fail. But trust is the Lord's going to just carry me. That's grace right there, is God is just carrying me, and he is my trust, even for me. It's like a tree planted um, by the water, roots by the stream. No problems with heat, drought, still thrives. Okay? The scripture has spoken, super clear. There's our picture. Now let's talk about some plants, okay? So the first plant, if we can put that picture up there, is a creosote bush. Cheer for the creosote bush. It has nothing going for it. <laughs> so a creosote bush, it's not even a tree, as uh, we heard in Jeremiah 17:6. The creosote bush, I would describe, it's one of the few plants that can survive, and it's just barely surviving in the desert. I'd call it a survivor bush. It's constantly searching for water. In fact, one of the commentaries when it just talked about the plant in Jeremiah that it was describing, it said describing a plant that is stunted and starved. So every day, just barely eking out an existence, just waiting for, usually there's a monsoon season where a month it might rain a little bit. I was in a, a program in college, a biology class, where we did natural history of Baja, California, and we stayed in this one part called Bahia de Los Angeles, and they average an inch and a half of rain per year. <laughs> and so one of the locals said, yeah, every once in a while a winter will happen where we just get cloudy and it doesn't rain at all. It's an inch and a half average, meaning like, yeah, well, some years they get five inches of rain. <laughs> and so guess what, was, guess what plant was all over down there? This one, the creosote bush. Uh, let me tell you a little bit more about it. And it, it fits that picture of someone striving to do life on their own. It, it's very isolated. It's doing its own strength. It sends out roots everywhere just for hope that it would get any water. It's always hoping for water. And it actually has toxic roots so that no other plants can live by it. Because if rain comes, they want to get all the rain that they can. And if any grass grows there, I didn't know this either. I just read this. 
um, any grass grows there, if there's any sign of fire, that's what really gets the plant to burn up. So they really want to kill everything around it if they have any chance of living because the creosote bush is called a greasewood plant. It will burn quite well um, if there's any fire. I wonder if that's the bush that just caught on fire because it was all greasy with Moses. <laughs> I'd like this one a little bit better than the acacia, can you tell? Um, sparse appearance. In fact, if I was to say, this is a really healthy looking, that's about as healthy looking as you can I've uh, seen a creosote, I mean a creosote bush. And I would say that has a down countenance, right? It's just barely getting through life. So that's the picture that God gives us in the scriptures is like you can be um, miserable doing life on your own, scratching things out, trying to just work for yourself, even poisoning other things to get by, hoping for one glimmer of rain. That's because you're out in the desert. Or the other option is a redwood tree. Oh, you guys got to cheer for the redwood tree. This is Santa Cruz. <laughs> Look at that. Wow, that's a cathedral picture. Um, by the way, I, I always bring these. I didn't tell you guys this last week, but I always bring my resources, like some web pages that I pick up. And so if you want to borrow these or look at those, um, I have those and I always put those right there. This is, I love the redwood trees. One, because we live in them. But this, my dad wrote a, a few textbooks and this is one of them that he wrote. And this is actually a travel course where you, you can do the class. I'll give you units for it. Um, and half of the class takes place up in Ukiah, and there's a, a train up there called the Skunk Train, and you ride the train, and he taught at Mendocino College up there, but then he also made part of the class that you had to come down to Santa Cruz and ride Roaring Camp Train and go to the various state parks around here. So if you just wanted to do the half of the class because you're like, I'd love to learn more about Redwoods, um, you can borrow that book, and it goes on all these field trips in a car. It's, a, it's an amazing time. My cousin helped him with that. And so growing up, guess who learned a lot about Redwoods? whether you wanted to or not. And I actually loved it. And it was kind of cool. Like, you know, like California, you kind of feel like, well, we're the best state because we have blah, blah, blah. And, and we're always like, sometimes we have the worst, but we always have like the highest mountain, the, you know, the, the superlative things. Well, the redwood tree is like that. It's the tallest tree on earth. And it's one of the oldest. It's not the oldest, but it's one of the oldest. And it's one of the fastest growing trees on earth. So it's a tree to be really proud of in that it's, it's just a thriving tree. It's doing really well. Um, why, is it, why has it been cut down the last 150 years? Because <laughs> it has such good wood. It doesn't rot. Uh, we use it for our decks. Um, it's very resilient. Uh, Michael and I will tell you, if you have questions about redwoods, that guy knows a lot about redwoods. But he's saying, you know, you could, actually we did. We cut down most of this forest and then it just grows back up. They're really tough to kill. And I mean that in a good way. Now it's harmful to the environment to clear cut that way, but they're resilient and their forests have really come back. They're fire resistant. Their bark can, can you know, you see these scars on them. The tree's still fine. They, they really won't burn, won't burn much well at all. All the other trees will burn. They're bug resistant. They're disease resistant. They're drought resistant and they're flood resistant. And this is something I didn't know, I was reading in my dad's book, is that their roots, so you know how like when it floods, a lot of plants, they'll be asphyxiated because their roots need to breathe in a sense. And their roots, when they're you know, in a floodplain and it's just the river's going to be up for, I don't know, let's say a month or something, their roots will actually grow vertically to breathe. And they've, they've done experiences on this where they just carve it all out and then flood it out and then they grow up just, just to the breathing part. Amazing. Their trunk alone 
stores 8,000 gallons on a mature tree. That's a ton of water, so they can make it through the summer. And I was like, how can they figure that out? Do they wring out a tree or something? <laughs> so this has nothing to do with the sermon, but they cut a, cut a piece of the trunk out, and they um, dry it out, and they weigh it. They weigh it before, and they weigh it afterwards, and the difference is that's how much water was in it. Brilliant, huh? So they didn't have to do it for the whole tree. They can extrapolate. But a tree holds 8,000 gallons, and it can drink off of that in the, you know, we have these dry seasons. The other thing they do that's interesting is they drink fog. Up to 40% of their water intake is drinking fog. That's what gets them through our long, hot summers. Basically, it's an evergreen, beautiful tree, a rich oxygen producer for us. In fact, one naturalist, I heard him say, you know, you notice this, the redwood forest is the quietest forest. I'm like, why is that? It is eerily quiet. Their bark even absorbs the sound. If you want some peace, just go into the redwood forest, and it's like, ah, so relaxing. So much different than that creosote bush. (laughs) The one weakness that they have, and I'll put an asterisk by that, is they have these shallow roots. And so when the wind blows, if they're by themselves, they blow over. But they don't live by themselves, do they? There's always a ton of them. Some of them sprout up from their very um, other roots next to the same tree. If you cut one down, six of them will come up in a ring. That's what's making that ring right there, is there was probably a tree right here, and then those things grew up once it was either cut or, or eventually died after a couple thousand years. But it's not a weakness, it's a strength, and they're in community. And here's the craziest thing, not only do they hold each other up, because the roots only go, what, 8, 12 feet down or something like that? They're all interconnected, and so they hold each other up. So when the storms come through, and we have some big storms here, they don't, they don't fall over, hardly ever. You know, sometimes a creek will erode it, and then one will fall over, but they rarely fall over because they're holding themselves up. Then the other thing they found out, this is more recently, they talk to each other, and they share resources. What a novel thought. So when one of them is sick, the all the ones all send nutrients and food there, right, to build it up. And they work together. And they're, you know, it starts to, the scientists are like, we're not even sure where this tree starts and then where this one ends. That's a picture of community. So a redwood tree, when that psalm is talking about, they stand up, they can stand in the judgment because they're together in community. They sit together. It says sitting in the congregation, and they are, they're getting their water from the Lord. They're planted by a stream. Redwood's beautiful picture of community and a, and a, a person following the Lord. So um, we've heard from God's word, Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17. We've heard from God's creation. Now let's get personal. Where are you planted? Where are you planted? Are you planted near water, thriving without fear? A redwood tree, in fact, my dad would tell me this when I was a little kid. He, you know, we had, we'd planted a few redwood trees, and I'd say, oh, dad, I left the hose on all night. I'm so sorry. He's like, well, you know, won't hurt the tree. You can't overwater a redwood. I always thought that was pretty neat, so I'd try and flood it and just grew taller. Or are you living life without water, stunted and starved, competing, toxic, isolated? Maybe a better question is, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? At the end of this Jeremiah 17 passage, or not the end, the end of this portion, it says, you've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. So the water is not just water. The Bible's telling us that the water is, is Jesus. The Lord is, 
It's living water. And then Jesus himself claims this. Um, if you want to turn, I can just read these in uh, the book of John, where Jesus comes across um, this woman at the well. And he says to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's talking about physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is saying, you want to be a tree planted by the water, I'm the water. He gets even more specific in John chapter 8, or John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is just straight claiming, I'm the water. Come to me. Drink of me. There's a picture. How long can a human live without water? A few days? Yeah. A few days. And you, you just can't do it. And yet we ignore the fact that you can't live apart from Jesus. You can't. You're spiritually dying or you're spiritually dead apart from God through Jesus. So if you want, pull out your um, notes. Maria let me know this was helpful last week, the little notes that we're filling in. And I want to go over those real quick before I take a last couple looks at what we've heard. Our tree that we're talking about, redwood tree, and you can put in parentheses creosote bush, I suppose. Our scriptures were Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17. And I just noted uh, John chapter 4 and John chapter 7, if you want to hear the words straight from Jesus' mouth about water. What's the root of our biblical truth? It's simple. Life without Jesus is stunted and starved. Life with Jesus is bountiful. You see, we, you know, we have the huge advantage of being here in some of the prime redwood territory in the world, really. You get the, the, the best, tallest trees are at the top of our state, and some of the biggest, best ones here are here in Santa Cruz County. We have a picture of what life with God looks like. Life with Jesus and with community is a core truth we're talking about. The fruit to bear fruit to bear. I, I believe our fruit is to tell other people about Jesus, to live in such a way that's attractive, that people would wait. Why are you thriving in the midst of this heat? People are thirsty. Some don't even know it. Like a creosote bush, they could just be, this is all I know. This is what I do to get by life. It's just scrape and grab and whatever I can do to get by. And yet, if they tasted not just a little bit of water, but abundant water, and we're not talking about water, we're talking about Jesus, where we have a relationship with the living God restored, that we have a relationship where we can talk with him and say, I'm doing this wrong, I'm struggling with this, or I need this. You know, talking about Psalm 23 in the class, Lord, you're my shepherd. I don't need to worry about anything. That's good water. People are thirsty. And people notice when there's thriving in drought. You know, you notice. In fact, in, uh, I don't remember when this was, probably 
15, 20 years ago. That, you know, we've had various droughts in California, and I remember um, drought was a big deal in Santa Barbara, and they had this big deal that you couldn't water your lawn, no matter how wealthy you were. <laughs> and there were always a few lawns that were very green, and people got in trouble. It's really easy to notice who's thriving and who's not when the, when the droughts come. Are the leaves still green? And again, we're not talking about plants. We're talking about your life. When you encounter, we've encountered some difficult things in our church, and yet we're still here. We've encountered, people have encountered difficult stuff, and we've pooled resources. We've cared for each other. We've lived in community. And I would encourage you, like I did last week with the acacia tree, as you see redwood trees, bring that up in conversation with people. You don't even have to get to talking about God if that's not where the conversation goes. But when I say talk to people, I don't mean necessarily go up there and tell them all you know. Maybe find out all they know. Maybe ask them what they think. What do you think about a redwood tree? Why is it made like that? What, what, what about the design is good? What about it is faulty? Can you, what can we learn from redwood trees? And if you, if you feel a sense, you could say, you know, God actually gives us a picture of abundant life with him by just looking at a redwood tree in community. And you may even get to the point where you can ask, where are you planted? And I would encourage you to do that. Um, we have another class where we're talking about parenting. Talk with your kids. My dad did it about redwoods, it's just fun to do. And you can weave truth in and out and asking them about those things. I know um, they're going to do that in one of the kids' class. They're going to go out there, out in the quarry, right over there, there's a bunch of redwood trees. In fact, one of the things that they learn, I got all these facts swirling in my head about redwood trees. Got to, no, not yet, <laughs> some other time. But they, you know, when they first discovered redwood trees and brought them back to Europe, they planted them just one at a time, and they didn't do well. They blew over, they didn't, they didn't grow well. And uh, then they said, this one, one guy said, they did quite well when we planted them as hedges. You know, they didn't grow as tall here, but they grew well together and really thick. A redwood tree won't grow well by itself. Just won't. We're designed for community. And that's what I like about, um, we're going into communion now. And communion, boy, it, it just expresses such a picture, such an experience of what this whole message is about. Communion where you're taking Jesus. A you know, redwood tree is soaking up water, right? Community is helpful, but the, but the trees don't just live off each other. They live off the water, right? You've got to have the water. We're going to take Jesus. We receive Jesus. We say, Jesus, be in my heart, be in my life, be everything. Let me be really clear on that. Jesus says, I'm the water. You need the water. So taking communion is an expression of our belief that we receive Jesus into our lives and we not just receive him in a one-time event, but we walk with him. We trust in Jesus and Jesus is our trust, okay? So that's part of communion. The other part of communion is we do that together. You're not just one person taking communion. Now you'll take it yourself, but we're all taking it together. And just like the kids will see a picture of a redwood community over there, when we're taking communion, we all see a, a bunch of redwoods sucking up the water, living together. That's what the picture of the church is. Let's pray. 
Lord, this is such a clear picture, especially to us here in Santa Cruz. But we pause to say we need you. Um, we still are silly and we try to live apart from you. I know I do. I behave like a creosote bush and it has never worked out for me. You are our everything. We trust in you. In fact, you are our trust. May we understand this to the depth that we not only believe it, but we live it. We believe it by living it, and then we share with other people that we live it in such a way that our grass would be green and people just want to know, where are you getting that water from? And then we would share through acts of service, through prayer, through conversation. May we be generous as the redwood trees are generous with one another. May we receive you just as redwood trees receive water. Amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast or visit us online at hscchurch.org.